Julie Rose, and this is Top of Mind. I have been a radio journalist for two decades, but a few years ago, I found myself avoiding the news for long stretches because of how depressing and divisive it all seems. I still wanted to be informed and engaged on important issues, though, and I figured I couldn't be alone in that. So we created this podcast. Each week, we tackle one tough topic in a way that will challenge you, help you feel more empathy, and empower you to become a better citizen, a kinder neighbor, and a more effective advocate. Today, the power of curiosity to bridge divides. When you are confronted with a perspective you disagree with, how often is curiosity your first instinct? Most of the time, it's probably not, right? Especially if it's something you feel strongly about. But what if, instead of feeling defensive or dismissive of the other perspective, we could pause for a moment and ask, what am I missing here? Well, Monica Guzman is on a mission to get more of us asking that question more of the time. She's a senior fellow at Braver Angels, which is a nonprofit working to depolarize America. And they have a new podcast, which she is hosting, called A Braver Way. Monica Guzman is also author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. And I am so pleased that Monica Guzman is with me today for the latest installment of our Stick With It Conversation series here on Top of Mind. Monica, welcome. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, I like talking about curiosity, so this is, this is my jam. I, you know, it's something that I always say, people are like, why did you go into journalism? I'm like, because I am so insistently curious. Like, I get paid to be nosy and to ask why and how about. <laughs> it's like, yes, isn't it amazing? I also yeah. fell in love with journalism, fell in love with people through it. Like, what a privilege to be able to get to know people and then have that burden of trying to portray them accurately to their communities. Yeah, and what's so interesting to me, um, in your book, you you frame curiosity as um as like a really powerful tool. Like that is the superpower <laughs> that mm-hmm. can actually help us to have these kinds of conversations. So talk to me about this question, what am I missing here? What, why do you like that question so much? Because it helps us stay aware of the assumptions that we make that keep us from asking questions we really should ask. So I think about assumptions as being the little minions of certainty, right? When you think you know, you won't think to ask. So certainty is sort of the, you know, the oil and water to curiosity. I mean, it's the arch-villain of curiosity, really. So curiosity gets sparked at the gap between what you know and what you want to know. We've all been there, you know, when someone goes like, who's that guy in that movie? Like, I don't know. Someone's got to pull out their phone and find out. Like, it can be this pull. (laughs) You've got to find out. Like, thank goodness we've got that built-in sense, that knowledge, emotion. But when we believe a story we've heard, that doesn't really give us a very good answer. But maybe it makes us feel better. Maybe it makes us feel like we belong whatever, or that we already have the answers, we don't need to worry about it. Those are those can be bad assumptions to believe. So when you ask, what am I missing? You are acknowledging the fact that in most cases, especially when it comes to people you don't know very well, you're probably missing something. And so it gets your mind to get curious about the gaps that it's refusing to see. Yeah. It, 
It, it's a way of sort of interrupting the natural, sort of the natural response, I guess, because it's not, it just doesn't seem like it comes that easily, even to very curious people. <laughs> like, I'm happy to be curious about stuff when I feel like the stakes aren't very high for me personally. But when I'm invested <laughs> in something, and these are the hardest kinds of conversations to have, that's when my curiosity kind of like checks out. So what does it take to turn that on? I mean, what what is that process like to turn? Maybe you could share a story from your from your own life where, um, where you were successful in actually turning on enough curiosity to sort of get you to the next place in that conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, people focus on conversations between people. Why wouldn't we? I mean, that's where a lot of this happens out in the wilderness. But the most important conversation to stay curious about is the conversation each of us has with ourselves. So that conversation happens when you're talking to somebody else. There's always two conversations. There's a conversation with the other person and the conversation with yourself. The conversation with yourself also happens when you're reading an article or a thought piece, right? A lot of us will find a headline that disagrees with us, a popularly held view that disagrees with our own perspective. We'll read it looking for ammo. So this is one place where we can zoom in. And this has happened to me. Um, I remember couple years ago, finding a, an article that was written by one of the descendants of Thomas Jefferson, and it argued for getting rid of, you know, the Jefferson Memorial. And so I read that, that headline, and I was like, no, <laughs> that's terrible. You know, my instant reaction, I noticed my reaction. That's a terrible idea. What? And so then I noticed that instinct. I had two instincts. One which was to just scroll past that headline and condemn everything it probably says. And the other was to click it, but like in a way that just affirms everything I believe and just go like, what a jerk. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, like rage reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And these was, right, these were just my reactions. I wasn't being thoughtful at all up to this point. Right? Yeah. And I told myself, okay, girl, why don't you try your own medicine? <laughs> so I opened that article and I asked myself two questions. What are the deep down honest concerns, you know, informing this perspective? And what is the strongest argument on this side of things? And so I put myself in that generous place where I could say, what am I missing? What is my reaction, you know, not encoding that could make my understanding of really complicated issues around history and reckonings and slavery and moral wrongs throughout time? Like, how can I really stay open to all of this? And so I read the article from that point of view, and it was totally not whatever I had projected onto it, you know? This wasn't a person who didn't respect history, wanted to wreck everything, whatever the heck I thought I was going to encounter. I mean, this was a person who was saying, hey, Jefferson was a really complicated guy. Like, you know, he was, he was my ancestor. And I don't know, Monticello is already a pretty great memorial to the man. So I'm just saying, like, maybe we don't need quite so many things. And I was like, huh, okay. So in other words, we didn't disagree as much as I thought we did. I still disagree with his conclusion that we should take down the Jefferson Memorial, but I'm not angry about his point of view. I actually find it very interesting. So that's that's a way we can do it. It's about noticing our assumptions. Really, it starts with catching our reactions in the moment. We have emotional reactions to political types of issues all the time, even apolitical people. You know, people who think they, they don't really follow the news, that's fine, but you're still a human being who has opinions about how society ought to be structured. We, we're all going to do that. So notice your reaction. Get curious about how someone might come to a different conclusion and then follow their path and see what's there. 
on top of mind, we we talk about these stick with it moments where we manage to make that choice to stay uncomfortable, to read the article a little bit more carefully and graciously, right? To to have the conversation when it would be way more comfortable just to bail out or lash out, um, and and so I love this idea that that. that I mean, it takes work, obviously, but that um, noticing assumptions, kind of this mindfulness idea of noticing your sort of how your body's reacting. And the title of your book, Monica Guzman, points to sort of uh, one of the the key components of getting into that space or recognizing that there's more to learn here and that there might be a payoff at the end of the discomfort. Um, and so the book, of course, is called I Never Thought of It That Way. And uh, you shorten that down to Intuit Moments, I-N-T-O-I-T, sorry, W, Intuit <laughs> Moments. <laughs> um, and there is one particular moment that you tell in the book that, that uh, just really affected me. I'd love to have you talk about in fact, a lot of this book was inspired by your um, political differences with your parents. That's right. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm a Mexican immigrant, and so are my parents. We came over when I was about six years old. We became citizens when my parents passed the citizenship naturalization test and process in the year 2000. And I remember coming home and plopping my backpack down on the ground and looking up and seeing a Bush Cheney sign over my mother's desk and being like, oh, they're Republicans. What? And I was, I was a Democrat. I was liberal. And I was young. And I sort of thought, we're all in agreement here. I guess I didn't notice all the arguments over the dinner table <laughs> about welfare, about all kinds of things, right? So, um, yeah, so we've had a really interesting set of political discussions. In the last several years, it's gotten as heated as you can imagine with, mm. um, you know, the candidates who were on the ballot and just lots of challenges uh, coming at us from all sides. So, the night of the 2016 election, when the result was clear, I am, I am a liberal, I was devastated. You know, politically, I was devastated. And I, was, I live in Seattle, surrounded by a liberal culture. The whole city was devastated. So that night, you know, my babies went to bed, my husband went to bed, and I think, I know who I need to call my mother, <laughs> who is conservative and voted for Trump. And this is because I love my mother. We have incredible conversations, and somehow it works even when we really disagree. So, you know, she picks up the phone, and I'm clearly just wrecked. And I tell her what I really believe in that moment, which is that democracy broke tonight. Democracy mm. is broken. I tell her, I don't believe this candidate is going to have the kind of honoring of our institutions that is required like, this is our adopted country, mom. You know, I really care about this place, like Mexico. I don't want it to end up like a country that, you know, hasn't gotten this far. And I'm like, man, all these things about how it's broken. And my mom, to her credit, I actually didn't realize until way later that she was so happy that night. I mean, duh, her candidate <laughs> won. Of course she was happy that night. But I didn't know because she was holding back. It was, I think it's like a testament to our relationship, right? That like she knew yeah. who was in pain and it was her daughter yeah. and she's not going to gloat. So she listened and she let me talk a long time. And then she said, you know, Monica, this reminds me of growing up in Mexico. And she told me things I already knew but needed to be reminded that for many, many years, most of her life, one party won every presidential election. And elections were a complete farce. People voted because you were supposed to or something, but no one actually believed it counted because it didn't. 
And then my mom comes to the United States, becomes a citizen, votes with confidence for Republican candidates who support policies that she prefers. And here comes the 2016 election, and all she's hearing in the media is Hillary Clinton's going to coast to a victory. Oh, and also the Republican candidate is awful and terrible and horrible in all these ways, right? And she's going, well, I don't believe that. And this is America, and I'm going to cast my vote, even though everyone's telling me it's not going to matter. She cast her vote. Her candidate won, shocked the system. So she goes, Monica, you say democracy is broken, but I'm telling you, the way I see it, democracy works. This is proof democracy works. My candidate won. And so that hit me like a, just to talk about reactions, that just hit me like a punch, you know, but kind of a good punch and a bad Mm. punch. I just realized (laughs) the way I'm looking at things, it's not that it's wrong, but there's layers to add to it. There's complexity. There's perspective, right? Um, Growing up in Mexico, coming to the United States. uh, What is democracy? (laughs) You know, what is that? What is at its core? We had a really great conversation after that. But again, I really credit my mom that night for listening. Um, Yeah. So I could hear her. And and leading to a, it sounds like, I mean, you had one of these moments that you describe as an intuit moment. I I never thought of it that way. Like that is, you know, that was the perspective that had just sort of, that punched you. That's exactly, yeah, I I think I even said it, you know, I said it in Spanish, but like I said, (laughs) I said it like, yeah, nunca lo había pensado así, mami, wow. Um, And it just, I, I think there were a few seconds of silence. You know, and and again, it's not like I changed my mind and all of a sudden I'm not worried about our democracy. I still am. But but I had to, I just had to stop and let that complicate my understanding. And so this was a really formative moment for you. You you write about, in, um, you know, going uh, up to bed and sort of, you know, being angry and hurt and also sort of confused and overwhelmed, but committing that you were going to, you know, seek out these moments insistently as often as you possibly could. So why, Monica, why, you know, what what was actually accomplished that in that conversation when neither of you changed your mind? Right. Well, one thing is I, I, rem- I remembered the truth that we always have something to learn from people who disagree with us. Um, there are things that we can remind each other of. There's illuminations that come from just our own experiences that we can forget in the heat of a moment. Even the smartest person, most informed, most educated, it's it's a lot to try to take on all the complexity of the world in one person. So it reminded me of that, for one. The other thing is that, honestly, it took off some of the weight of that night. You know, I felt a little bit lighter and maybe a little more hopeful as a result of complicating my understanding in that moment. Um, so had I only spoken to folks who totally saw it my way, I probably would have gone to bed more panicked than you can possibly imagine. So then one can ask, well, maybe the panic is helpful. It's like, yeah, but maybe the panic is not helpful, <laughs> you know? Um, fear is a really strong thing in our lives. And it, too, is a kind of villain to curiosity. You can't wonder about something you think is going to get you. I think what's happening a lot in our society these days is we are judging each other more while we're engaging each other less. And the more you play out that cycle, the less people are going to think, not only that they have anything to learn from someone who disagrees with them, but they're also going to be more afraid of that person, more sure that the only outcome is going to be harm. And then we're going to underestimate the frequency with which we can actually be illuminated 
by talking with other people. We can see where we don't disagree that much at all, it turns out. We can figure out hang-ups that we have about each other's position that might actually be simple to solve. We see that happen in politics when there's enough courage to actually engage across the divide. It's not about coming to the middle at all. It's about understanding where each other is coming from. And once that happens, I believe persuasion, real persuasion is possible. Not the kind of persuasion that's about shaming people into submission, (laughs) you know, or just saying fine, just to make you shut up. Real persuasion happens when we actually listen to each other. Um, Having a a moment where you realize that you have a blind spot, that that you, I, I never thought of it that way before. Like my life experience had never, never allowed me to see it like that until you just expressed that to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's sort of how I think about what these moments are. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it? It can feel scary, right? So it seems like you had an alternative response possibility. <laughs> you could have mm-hmm. said. I do not like feeling that, like all of a sudden having to feel empathy for this perspective or realizing that this person who really disagrees with me is actually has a rational reason (laughs) for why they see the world that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, to some extent that, you know, what what was it that you think or or what's your advice for for making sure that when we have that moment that we don't freak out and, and, and want to retreat to the place that's less confusing um, and 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 it feels less scary. Yeah. No. And th- this is really tough. And this is where it's a good good time to remind everyone that you know these things are completely personal choices. Everybody's conversation, relationship, attachment to a particular issue is completely unique. And some circumstances just don't lend themselves to this. And so don't put any pressure on yourself, right? You try to go into something where you don't feel a little bit ready. It may not go that well. Um, so start small, you know, and work from there. If you are interested in in um in doing this um one thing to remember is that you know we we often think about approaching invalid ideas that's what we're doing when we're talking to each other there's valid ideas there's invalid ideas the invalid ideas will hurt me and the valid ones will encourage me or what have you but that's not it at all we are approaching valid people in all cases people are valid and people are more than their opinion on anything. So that's that's what I have found, you know, in my research at Braver Angels. This is where it begins. If if you see the valid humanity of another person, if you see this person is an expert on their own life and they have come to conclusions that I may completely disagree with or even really strongly dislike. But and yet their path led them to that conclusion and that is a fact, right? So I think it's about that. It's it's we see this when we make connections with people and we make relationships with people where you might start sort of getting curious about, "Oh, hey, we both like uh jogging." You know, we're in a jogging club. We're jogging, we're jo- we're talking about our tennis shoes, we're jogging. But over time what happens? Your curiosity about each other's jogging turns into curiosity about each other as people. And this is the natural human thing that we do. We begin by talking about ideas But we end up just being like, I want to know what you think because I care about you, because I'm connecting with you. And so that was part of what gave me the confidence to call my mother that night. It's like, I know she cares about me, you know, and I want to talk to someone who cares about me. And it doesn't matter so much that they disagree with me. And so that's a that's a key then to keep in mind when when you're 
entering into this conversation. So if you can, if, if, if taking the next step beyond the, you know, maintaining the curiosity and moving into that next realm where you want to continue this conversation, then you, would you recommend um, focusing your curiosity on, not on that person's ideas? I feel like we can get very quickly sort of tangled mm-hmm. up in, this is how I see it. No, this is how I see it. Well, here's my argument, and that's your argument. I have. We've all been in those conversations where we. It feels like we had come up to a standstill. Nothing really. We didn't really get anywhere, and I still disagree with you, and you disagree with me. But, but something else could happen if we, if we make our if we train our curiosity on the individual. So, like, what yeah. would that look like? What kinds what of questions would that like, look like? Yeah, I mean, the most important is to change from asking why to asking how. So, not why do you believe what you believe, or versions of that question often said as a demand, if there's a really strong divide, you know, why do you believe what you believe? But instead, how did you come to believe what you believe? So questions like that are more about, so tell me what led you to that. And then just kind of like sit back and let the person weave their story, tell you their story, right? And there could be all kinds of things. There could be personal experiences that affect them. I remember once a friend of mine years ago talking about guns, and I had no idea that he'd been mugged at gunpoint when he was younger. And when he told me that story, I understood why he had maybe more intense opinions about his right to carry a gun. Okay, right? And and just hearing people's experiences is tremendously important. And again, it's not about, I don't suddenly agree with him on his take on gun policy, but he makes sense to me now. And when when, when things in my world make sense to me, I can I can work with that, you know? I can work with that in a more productive way, in a more kind of calm way. We know from brain science that if if your response is sort of a fear response, flight or fight, right, you're not going to be very creative with what you've heard or the issue that you're wrestling with. You're not going to be collaborative. Your brain doesn't have time for that. It's trying to protect you. So so that's the that's the challenge, right? Is like can we discern danger from discomfort? So, so it's how, how did you come to believe what you believe? Ask that form of question and ask it to, of yourself. Um, we often don't, don't bother really taking a magnifying glass and going, what was the path I walked to my view on abortion? Like, let me look at the moments that stick out in my memory or the values that seem really strong for me, right? So look at those. When you're able to share those with somebody else, they're able to relate to your path, at least you give them a chance to do that. Not agree with it, with your conclusion, but relate to the path you took to your conclusion. That's a different story. There's always truth in our stories, even when there is no truth in our conclusions. Okay. There's always truth in our stories, even when there's no truth in our conclusion. So that leads me to this other thing that I feel like is a trap for a lot of us, and I don't really know how to get out of it. When you go into one of these conversations and you're trying to, you know, listen and restate what you're hearing and you're trying to stay open and curious and, you know, asking, trying to understand their pathway in the process, you hear them saying things that you know Mm. are factually untrue, Mm -hmm. you know, or, um, or like blatantly harmful in Mm -hmm. some way or, you know, a a sign of of bias, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, do I correct that? Like, yeah, do I do I question. fact check them? <laughs> like, right. do I shut that down? Yeah. Well, 
context matters. So if I put myself in the role of a journalist who is doing a live interview and someone says something I know to be untrue, then I dang well better correct it, right? Because it's going out to a lot of people. And what I am, I am responsible in my role for, you know, safeguarding the accuracy uh, and, and trying to be responsible about the information. So I, will, I, I, am, I am obligated to do that. Now, if it is you and one other person, so that's a high level of what I call containment, a high degree of containment of that conversation, then one thing you don't have to worry about is the sort of the fear we have of contaminating the world with bad ideas. You can just, well, no one else is here. It's just you. So... It's just you. You're the only person who can be contaminated. Great. We've contained. If you have this fear of being contaminated by an idea, well, now it's not more, more than just you. Okay, great. So then the question, do you correct them? Well, it depends on your goal, right? Um, you, might be, uh, you might be tempted to correct them in that moment, right? They've said something that is just false. You know, no, that's not true at all. Okay, that could work. That could be productive, but it depends on a lot of things. Um, are you in a place where it's a little touch and go, you know, where they're almost like waiting for you to contradict them so that they can tell themselves, she never listens. You know, if that's where you're at and your goal is not to shame or to play out the same script, if your goal is to listen and try to understand and try to change the script for the two of you, then don't correct them in that moment. Again, there is no, like, let's think about the harm. The harm is you're hearing it. Okay. Then it becomes about you're hearing it. Do you have to believe what you hear? Of course not. No, no one says you have to believe what you hear. Okay. So can you look behind the falsehood for something else? And so this is where I borrow um, a great construct from my friend Buster Benson. He wrote a book called Why Are We Yelling? And he talks about how the conversation about what is true is not the only conversation of disagreement that we can be having. There's also the conversation about what's meaningful. And I find this distinction extremely important because a lot of us, when we face a, a barrier that's about facts and the other person just doesn't see the facts the way we do at all and seem to believe lies, then we get completely co-opted by that. And we think our only options are to abort this conversation or to like try to convince them to change their mind, which you're probably not going to do. I mean, it's extremely unlikely given the circumstances. So switch from having the conversation about what's true to the conversation about what's meaningful, right? And you are not a journalist right now you know, airing this conversation to millions of people. You, you don't have to worry about that. So instead, just look at the person. Just what led them, what led them to this? What is, what is the concern? What I found is that a lot of times, you know, if people believe something where the truth doesn't seem to really stack up, the more, the more valuable thing to talk about and listen from them is not the articles they've read and the evidence they can marshal from other places, but rather, what worries you about this? You know? Like, what's pushing you to want to believe something that seems so flimsy? And so that question will get people to talk about what's really, really the issue. Um, might be a fear of losing something. Might be a sense of threat. It might be a really, I mean, it's almost always a valid concern about society. Uh, and so get to that. Talk about that. Don't get so distracted by the falsehood, the apparent falsehood. And I'll say, I say apparent because... I've had these kinds of conversations where I think I'm the one that's totally factually accurate, and then I have to eat my words because it turns out some of the evidence they have is actually true. And mm. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Oops. You know? So, so yeah. don't, be so, don't be so sure that you have all the truth. Yeah. Have you ever been in one of these conversations where you've actually changed your mind? Or they have actually come around to your way of seeing things? 
How yeah. often is that going to happen, do you think? Yeah. No, it does. It does. Um, I'm thinking about my parents a lot because we were talking about that. Um, back after the 2020, you know, summer protests on racial justice and everything, I knew that my mom did not like or support Black Lives Matter as an organization. And she would tell me, I don't support the organization. I do support the movement. And to me, that just felt like empty. Just, what do you mean? You know? And so we had a conversation about it and I was asking her, okay, well, tell me, tell me what it is about the organization. And she was saying, well, I went through their website and I remember thinking to myself, you did? (laughs) Really? I went through their website and Monica, I got to tell you, like they have, they have material on that website about that just de-emphasizes the family. And I really believe that family is extremely important and core to a good society. And I just, I can't support an organization that thinks the family shouldn't be as important as I believe it ought to be. And so I was like, yeah, she's probably exaggerating. And then I went to the website and I found the same material. And I realized that liberal though I may be, with my mother, I do share this conviction that family is really important. And so I had to be honest with myself and go, you know, I don't like that part of Black Lives Matter, the organization either. Now, did I suddenly not support? No, no, no. But it's, it's the little steps, right? My, my parents and I have never changed our minds on enormous things. Like, we would still vote the same way. But we certainly have complicated a lot of our understandings. And I would say that's the case with just, just about all the conversations where I've witnessed people persuading each other. We, we all want the holy grail of, like, I talked them into being pro-choice when they were pro-life. Like, that's not going to happen in an hour. Like, unless somebody is right there at the edge of it and already on the fence, it is really, really hard for you to suddenly influence them to change something that big. Like, our opinions are the result of our experiences. I mean, they, they have deep, deep roots. You can't dig that stuff out in a conversation or with a meme, right? But, I, but I, what I wish we would do is give more credit to the persuasion that does not change a vote, but does, in fact change and tweak the pathways in our minds. And I cannot tell you how often I've seen that happen to me and to folks who go through Braver Angels experiences, a lot of the people in bridge building organizations that I work with, you open yourself up to these conversations, you will complicate your own opinions. And some people hear that and they go, oh no, I need to be who I am and I won't be accepted by my side if I open myself up to those questions. And that's, that's a different kind of struggle, you know? Like, um, there's a philosopher who asks, what's more important, the truth or your own beliefs? Um, and if you believe the truth is more important than your own beliefs, then you better be open mm-hmm. to other ways of looking at things. Yeah. Let's talk about Braver Angels for a moment. You're a senior fellow there and uh, host of a new podcast from Braver Angels called A Braver Way. Um, be- people may know that Braver Angels um, sponsors sort of like meetups and trainings and opportunities, encounters for people, specifically, well, often focused around political disagreement, right? Um, Aiming to try to help us overcome our polarization. Um, What do you think is, what will be the sign of success? Like how, what what would it look like if we no longer needed a Braver Mm. Angels in the world? What a great question. You know, I... I haven't been asked that question before, but I know my answer instantly. It would look like no longer hearing attacks on people's character uh, as as a way of rooting an argument or a disagreement. Right now, because we are so rife with toxic polarization politically, it's everywhere. Our contempt for people on the other side is everywhere. It is unfounded. It is irresponsible. It's not compassionate. 
But because we are so afraid, you know, it feels correct and it feels brave and it feels strong and it is none of these things. Uh, So at Braver Angels, we talk about how, you know, we're not here with our conversations and our skills building workshops and our debates. We're not here with the goal of changing people's minds on the issues. That's that's up to them. The issues are a separate thing here, right? We're here with the goal of people, of changing people's minds, helping people change their minds about each other. So beginning with this sense of they must be crazy, stupid, or evil is blinding us to what issues are really about and who people truly are. And when you don't see another person and their actual concerns, they're not going to listen to you, you know? They're just going to feel like all you want is to change them. You're not even, like, you don't even know them. You don't even respect them. You don't even listening. Um, so that's it. It's like, I think we would know that Brave Angels was successful. Not because we stopped fighting about politics. Hell no. Hell no. We better fight even harder. In fact, that's, that's another sign. If we fight harder and we are more honest and expressive with the passion that backs up our ideas, but we know that we don't have to worry about people believing that we are awful for being honest about our opinions, that, that there's a relationship, a kind of connection across this country where we know that there's a sense of goodwill that I'm telling you, we will fight harder and better. So, so yeah, it's not, being nice is not the goal. Let's be clear. Monica Guzman is author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. She's senior fellow at Braver Angels and host of a new podcast from Braver Angels called A Braver Way. Monica, what are you hoping to do with the podcast? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So A Braver Way, it's razor focused on one mission, which is to equip people with the tools they need to bridge the political divide in their everyday lives and confront the barriers in their way. So we have, we have guests who have demonstrated courage crossing the divide. We also share sort of profiles of just everyday people from all over the place who have transformed something about their, themselves, their relationships, or their community because of a moment where they decided that they would give this a try. So it's tons of stories and models. And what I hope to achieve, I guess, is to let people know, look, first of all, you're not alone if you're sick and tired of this, and you are not incapable of making the kinds of small changes that will have big results in your lives and in our whole society. So excited for it. People can find it anywhere they get podcasts, I presume. That's right. Yep. You can find A Braver Way in all the podcast platforms on YouTube as well, and also at braverangels.org slash a braver way. Monica, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Julie. This was a lot of fun. Okay, so Top of Mind listeners, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you learned something there. I I learned a whole lot from her in that short little bit. And I'm curious to know when you last found yourself saying, I never thought of it that way. Did you choose to lean into that, to stick with the discomfort and stay curious? What happened as a result? Email topofmind at byu.edu. I'd love to hear your story. And just a special request as we get toward the end of season four, I would love to hear what kind of stick with it moments you've had with the podcast. Moments when you heard a perspective that really challenged you and you felt the urge to turn off the podcast, but you stuck around long enough to maybe have an I never thought of it that way moment. What was it like for you? Or did you not have that experience? Why did you keep listening? Or what would have helped you to keep listening? I'd love to hear your stories. We're always looking for ways to make Top of Mind more useful for you. 
in helping you to become a better citizen and a kinder neighbor and a more effective advocate. So reach out, top of mind at byu.edu and tell me about the stick with it, into it moments you've been having with the podcast this season. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon.